Welcome to Fashion Talks, the podcast about observing the world through the lens of fashion. I am your host, Donna Bishop, and it is my pleasure to be here tonight with the designer, founder, creative director of Kayla K Designs, Catherine Adai. Welcome. Hi, good evening, everyone. Thanks for having me. So I know the part of the focus of what we're going to be talking about tonight is that amazing feat that you've done by taking fashion as your side hustle mm-hmm. and making it your full-time gig. Mm -hmm. But before we dive into that, can you just tell us a little bit about you, where you're from, and uh, what life was like before Kayla Kay? (laughs) Let me think that far back. Um, So like she said, Catherine Adai, everything like you said was wonderful, creative director, um, CEO of Kayla Kay. And I started the brand five years ago, officially. And I was on mat leave, or just coming off of mat leave with my daughter. Her name's Michaela, and the brand is actually named after her. So Kayla for Michaela. And Kay is a nickname that my family gave me um, growing up. And it's the first email address I ever had was kay at hotmail.com. So when I started the brand, it just made sense that I would, it was mommy and me together. A quick story, when I started the company, um, the sound of my sewing machine would put my daughter to sleep. So late at night in my basement, I would have her in her court next to me, and I, wouldn't, I wasn't even sewing, I'm just pressing on the pedal to kind of get her to sleep. So when I was coming up with a name for the company, it just made sense, mommy and me. I have had three, two other kids since then, so there's three of them now. Um, so they fight over the company very often, but um, <laughs> Kayla's very quick to say, mom named the company after me, I'm gonna own it one day. My kids are eight, five, and two. And, and like I said, I started the brand really when I was on, uh, coming off of leave with Michaela, young mom, wanted something else extra to do. Um, my mother bought me a sewing machine, really, I think, to do alterations for herself, not thinking I would take it seriously. I bought a pattern from Fabricland, and I bought a book from Amazon called Sewing 101. And the first outfit I took took me a whole month to make, but I knew I had something when I walked into the event venue, and everybody went. I was like, oh, okay. Like, you know, I'm feeling shiny and I'm feeling great. And then people started asking me to make things for them. I started customizing things for my friends. They posted on Facebook. Facebook was really kind of becoming part of our culture at that time. Um, I used to turn people down because I wasn't in the idea, the, the idea, the mindset of running a business. So it was just sewing was for fun. And I was doing things for friends and I was working. And I'm back to work now and I have a kid. And running a business wasn't even part of my mentality at the time. Um, and then I put together my very first collection, about a year or maybe almost two years later, put together my very first collection. We shot it downtown Kensington Market. Student models, student photographer, student hairstylist, student makeup artist, everyone just collaborating um, in exchange for their time. I was going to give them copies of the images. CNN Opinions picked up the pictures, and it just... You never know what's going to no. be the moment where you are discovered. Yes. I, wasn't, I didn't expect it to be that moment, but yes. And what uh, what did that mean? Like, did did it was just was that like impressions? Was it traffic on your website? Was it people saying, "Can I buy stuff?" All of the above. So I think it was it was impressions and traffic on the website. And I had at that time linked up with a company in the U.S. who had just started um, a shopping flat platform dedicated to selling brands that are from the diaspora or designers who are from the diaspora. It's called, it was called Zuva um, at the time, and I guess they had 
gone through and realized who they wanted to curate for this particular segment. I got a random email from some lady at CNN. I thought it was a joke. I ignored her. Um, she emailed two times, like, I'll send you some pictures. Here's a blurb about me. I didn't think anything was a come of it. And then they actually put together um, top 10 up-and-coming African brand designers to watch. And someone sent it to me, and I literally like it, like it was yeah, insane. Were you on the ceiling? I was. I was. It was insane. And I think from then, um, I knew that, okay, maybe I need to take this a bit more seriously because I might just have something of seen and opinions, things I'm good enough to put on the website. So you're talking about starting the brand, you know, as a new mom, mm -hmm. wanting something to keep you occupied. Little did you know, because, you know, having kids doesn't yeah. keep you occupied enough. No. Was fashion a part of your life before that? Were you a teenager or young adult that loved clothes? Like, what was your relationship to fashion before then? It was exactly that. So I loved, I always loved clothes going up. Um, Stitches was my store. Um, you know, when I was in high school, I always had a lot of clothes, always had a lot of shoes, and I always really just had a good knack of putting things together. So in high school, even in university, I used to style some friends. I was always part of the fashion shows at school, whether it was a model or helping backstage style. So I've always just had a good relationship and a good eye for style and design, um, which has come really handy now that I have um, the company. So you have had this moment with CNN. Mm -hmm. Are you producing in your basement? Do you have staff? What does the production look like at this point? I'm producing in my kitchen, on my dining table, and I am the seamstress. So again, having taught myself how to sew, the first collection I put together by myself, so I used to take um, per order basis. So it wasn't mass produced. So as the orders came in, as tedious as it was, the order came in, I'd buy the fabric and the zipper and everything else to go with it and then go ahead and make it. So I pr my production time at the time was like four to six weeks. Um, just kind of monitoring to see the kind of traffic and flow that I'm getting. Um, so as things progressed and picked up, that's when I recognized I probably need to hire people because it's growing and I can't afford to be the seamstress, the manager, uh, the shipping packaging person, the accountant, everything all, you know, all together. And that's when I um, hired a seamstress. Still your side hustle, though. Still my side hustle. What was your main hustle as you were side hustling Kayla Kay? I have a degree from the fabulous University of Western Ontario. I have a degree at... Yay! Yay! <laughs> um, I graduated from a program called Health Information Management, um, which is a combination of health sciences, computer science, and business. So I was working um, downtown at the time, actually, for CCAC, worked there for many years, and then transitioned over um, in Brampton to Brampton Civic Hospital, worked there for many years. So paint us a picture about what a typical day would be like for you with your main hustle, yeah. your family, yeah and your side hustle and having a life. Yep. Paint us a picture of what that day would look like. Sure, so up in the morning, probably like six o'clock in the morning, um, get the baby ready, at the time it was just Michaela, get myself ready, make breakfast um, for the family. So I also have a stepdaughter, um, and she was obviously at that time too coming into her own, so taking care of that also. Making breakfast, packing lunch, getting to work, um, over lunch breaks, checking emails to see when one placing orders, customer service, any questions, any issues. Um, after work, getting to Canada Post before 5 p.m., because that's when the shipment leaves. So leaving work at 4 o'clock to get there before 5 o'clock and then pick up Michaela from the daycare and then head home, make dinner, settle them in. Michaela's in bed by 8 o'clock, down back into the basement to finish any packaging, shipping, any sewing. I was usually in bed by 12. 
I'm tired just sitting yeah. here listening. My husband was too. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but you're, you're starting something viable. You're getting orders. Mm-hmm. You know, things are happening. What, what was it like working at that pace? Was it mm-hmm. invigorating? Were you anticipating it maybe making a shift sometime or was every order Christmas and it was just exciting that another person wanted a Kayla K? So it was exhausting, as you can imagine. So before I jumped onto that platform with all the other designers, I was selling only on my platform and on Etsy. So the orders were coming in, but it was manageable. It was a really good pace. Um, Once I jumped onto that other platform, it just... You know, it, it was wide-reaching because she had customers from the U.S., really international, and that's when it really became overwhelming. That's when, um, I mean, I used to be up five, six hours through the night just pack, ironing, packaging, shipping, ironing, packaging, shipping, iron, and just turning things out and picking things up from the seamstress are all random hours just so we can uh, make the deadline. So I knew that it was coming to a point where something would have to give. I wasn't sure what was going to give, at that point, um, where there was maybe the job that was going to give. Uh, I couldn't give the husband. I couldn't give yeah. the kids. So <laughs> some things are non-negotiable. Some things are non-negotiable. Um, and th- it was a bit of a scary time, too, because I'm thinking, if I ever have to give my job, I know my numbers from the business, but the thought of having to let go of something I went to school for, I worked in the industry for 10 years, it gave me benefits, I had dental. I mean, to give all that stuff up, and I, you know, I have a, like a two, three-year-old at the time, that was a bit scary. So I didn't think about it too much. I just kept grinding. Kept grinding, kept grinding, kept grinding until. Can you talk, before we get to the until, can you talk a little bit about how you manage the business side of things? Mm -hmm. Because I think so often when we're an entrepreneur and we have a side hustle that we're doing, we get so focused in the production and maybe the creative side of things that there's a whole administrative Mm -hmm. wing that Mm -hmm. is so important that can get neglected. How did you manage all of those tangents of the business. So, uh, true story. Um, in terms of customer service, I should, so when I started the business, I did everything myself. So if you, got, if you sent an email, I'm responding to you. At one point, I had, a, I had my cell phone number up there, so don't ever do that. <laughs> so if you called, I would answer, right? Um, and my very dear friend had come by my home, um, and I think she just recognized that I was really overwhelmed. We were supposed to go for lunch, and I had to cancel because I just had to package and ship things. And my thing was, when an order came through, if my website said that it would be ready in two weeks, I'm going to guarantee you to be ready in two weeks. So no matter what was happening in my life, I would cancel I would cancel everything to make sure I met this deadline because I wanted the customers to be happy. And so when I canceled on her, she realized that something was really up. I was just overwhelmed. And she said, I will do your, customers, I will do your emails for you for free until you can get your wits together and figure out what it is you want to do. So God bless her. She did it for me for two years, unpaid. Um, and then I managed to get my mind together to get my husband to do my accounting so I didn't have to take care of that. So he, he did my bookkeeping on a monthly basis on a very consistent basis. Canceled the phone number, so don't call me my cell phone, um, so that I could focus um, on generating, obviously, income and leads and going to pop-ups and doing trade shows and going to events and doing talks and just promoting the business. And then I hire, and having the seamstresses, too. So some delegating became yeah. really important. As hard as that is, because I'm very type A, but... Did you have an idea in your head about what the threshold would be when something had to give? Did you have a revenue number? Did you mm-hmm. have a, a sleep you know, number, mm-hmm. <laughs> if mm-hmm. I'm getting less than three hours, then something's got to give. How did you decide when it was going to be time to make a shift? Uh, it was really decided for me. Um, I, 
So, okay, so to be honest, I never really thought that I would have to make that decision. I was working, we seemed to have found our groove, so it seemed to, as exhausting as we were, my husband really stepped up, my family stepped up, so I was getting the support that I needed with the kids, so I never thought I really have to, would have to give it up. It was great extra income. You have a full-time job, my husband has a full-time job, and it's just really great extra income, but once I realized that I could financially make the same as I was making at my nine to five, and still have you know, enough money to pay the seamstresses and the team, and I can hire a customer service representative, I can hire a marketing person, I realized I have a real legit business. Um, and so I felt at one point that, you know when you're like on a train and it's just going real fast and I'm the conductor but I'm like at the back, and I need to be at the front, I just needed to go and get control of, over this train, otherwise it was moving ahead without me because at that point I gained so much exposure and the orders are coming in and people were talking about the company that if I didn't get a handle of it, it was going to get away from me and it was so far gone that I couldn't turn back. So there really wasn't the option of I'm going to stop the business because why are you stopping this successful business? There's, you know, um, So that's when... You ultimately decided yeah. to, to leave the hospital. Yeah. Were they aware that you had a side hustle? Apparently they were. <laughs> I had some customers at the hospital. Um, but uh, on mat leave with our last baby, she's now three, Janae, going into mat leave, in my heart I knew. I knew something would have to give. I hadn't had the conversation with my husband or the family yet, because I had a year to think about it. Um, so as we're inching towards the year, I... Um, said to my husband, we just bought a new home at that time. So I just bought our final home where we love, huge mortgage. Um, we have four kids between us now. And I'm like, honey, I don't think going back to work is a thing. You know when you whisper it and you hope they don't hear, but they do. <laughs> and I'm scared. And you know, I don't, I'm like, I don't know if this is going to work out or not work out. But I've been doing this on the side for five, six years. I'm exhausted. I'm no good to you. I'm no good to the kids because I'm doing everything half-ass. I'm not 100% in anything. And I'm losing myself. I'm losing my mind. I need the time. And it was my husband um, who actually said, you know what? I see the wheels turning in your head. I know you need to make a decision, and not on account of me, I need you to do what you need to do. And he, his exact words were, what kind of a man would I be if I didn't encourage you to pursue your dreams? I don't want you to look back on this one day and think because I was married and I had kids, I couldn't do what I wanted to do. That's all I need to hear. I was like, all right, <laughs> that's it. So I called, and I said, talk to my boss, and um, had a conversation with her, and she said, I knew you were not coming back. She's like, I know you have a side business. I know you have some customers here. I've seen you on your lunch break, running to Canada Post, checking your emails. Um, I wish you the best. If you ever need us, we'll be here. Um, but good luck. And I said, thank you. I'm never coming back. What a beautiful way to end yeah. that chapter. Yeah. What do you think you learned from doing Kayla Kay as a side hustle that has allowed you to be so successful with it as your full-time gig? The hustle. Like the, the tenacity and everything I've been through, just having heart, you know, all the downs you go through, but still being able to come up. I mean, I say this to a lot of entrepreneurs that it's a lot of work having both, but don't quit your day job unless you know that your side hustle is really secure, because you're going to end up in a lot of trouble. I used the money from my day job to really fund the business until it was able to sustain on its own. If I had quit with the kids and everything else, I don't know how long it would have taken me to really become financially stable with the business. Um, but yeah, just, you know, just hustling and working really hard and delegating and I learned how much coffee I need to drink to get through the day. And, yeah. Now, 
your designs are so beautiful. Thank you. They are, you know, I encourage people who are listening to go to KaylaK.com so you can, you can see them as you listen to this. They are vibrant. They have bold prints. The colors are amazing. What inspires you from a design perspective? Mm -hmm. Because your, your point of view is very unique. I think you could see one of your designs coming down the street and go, Oh, that's one. Yeah. What inspires it? Where did you, what, what, what is, uh, what informs your designs? Uh, so, I mean, I really started the company because I didn't want to look like everybody else. So from that one dress that I wore at a party that everybody went, and it was, it was um, a party full of African people, also people like myself, who are used to the prints and the styles also. So for them to really gravitate towards what I'm wearing, which made me stand out in that crowd, then I knew I really had something. So I just wanted to design pieces that were creative, that were unique, modern, but still modest, um, slightly sexy, um, and pieces that you can kind of use, wear transitionally. So it doesn't matter what season you're in, you can still wear it. It doesn't matter where you're going, um, you can probably still wear it. And I wanted to be able to marry that, my North American culture, really with the tradition of the prince from my Ghanaian heritage. And where do your clients, do you have client bases in different pockets? Do you have Mm -hmm. a sense of where Mm -hmm. people are coming from? We do. So culturally, it really is everybody. But um, ironically, Toronto's just now picking up on me. I don't know. (laughs) Um, But I was extremely, I still am, um, very popular in the US. So New York, LA, DC, um, that just happens to be fashion cities. Um, Toronto, obviously, Vancouver's picking up for some reason. So Vancouver, if you're listening, I might come out and do a pop-up shop there. Um, Internationally, um, London and Australia. And, you know, we were talking about this a little bit earlier because, you know, as a, as a Gen X white girl, um, I want to wear your clothes. And I asked you, like, am I, like, am I allowed to wear your clothes? Like, is that appropriation? Uh Like, they're so beautiful. I'm dying to wear them. Is that, you know, I hope I'm not being a total, like, nope. You know, only person to ever ask you this. Is that something you get? And and what do you respond to that? Because cultural appropriation is obviously something that is very important to be Mm -hmm. aware of. Mm -hmm. So it's actually an excellent question. We get it all the time. Um, So the first thing I'm going to say to that is I am a black woman. Um, Culturally, I'm a Ghanaian woman. My clothes are not only made for black and Ghanaian women. So I've always said my clothes are made for all women, all cultural backgrounds who want to appreciate, who want to understand, and who like the clothes. So again, like I said, it's really the prints that are very cultural, but the styles are so modern. We don't own the styles. True right? story. True story. Um, so and that was part of the reason why I wanted to show the heritage mixed with, with the way I grew up in my modern style so that all women can feel like it's okay for me to wear that. Um, yeah, so I mean, when we get asked that question, I'm like, you need to ask yourself why you want to wear it. We know the conversation around preparation is very important and we get asked all the time. But if it's coming from a place of love and a place of peace and you want to understand and you want to appreciate and you want to love and just look vibrant, please, by all means, stop by the store, go online, come and chat with me. And also my marketing, which is very intentional, I use models of all races. So, you know, Caucasian, Black, Indian, I've used Asian models just to show that what, so when people go on the website, they can identify themselves in my clothing so that they know that it's okay over at Kayla K, even though I am an African woman, to wear my brand. 
Is the majority of your business done online or mm. with wholesale accounts? Online. And has that been intentional or have you looked into retail accounts and if so, what kind of feedback? Have so you online was just easier. Internet, the, the World Wide Web, right? Just so much easier to reach more people. And like I said, when I was on that shopping platform, she made it so easy to be online and just gain this massive exposure that opening a store wasn't really even part of my mind. Uh, but as Toronto started to pick up, I used to do pop-ups across the city once a quarter. Whenever I used to have pop-ups, hundreds of women would come out. And I recognized I had something, and they'd always ask, where's your store? Um, if I want to purchase something later, where can I go to buy your clothes? So that's when I started to look into other retailers in the city who um, could wholesale or even on consignment carry my pieces so that women in Toronto can have easier access to purchase and touch, feel, try things on. Um, you were sharing a story with me about some uh, comments you've gotten from a, a couple of retailers. Mm -hmm. Do you mind sharing what that is? Because I think that's so terrible. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'd, I'd love to unpack it a little bit with yeah. you in terms of how you reacted and, and you know, what you're going to, how is it going to inform anything at all? Uh, right. So that might be the most awkward question I've ever asked in like that roundabout kind of way. <laughs> that is okay. Cause it happened to me. It's the truth, right? So like I said, in reaching out to retailers in Toronto, um, I know I went for smaller boutiques. Um, just thinking that they carry more funky kind of creative styles and their aesthetic would match more to mine. Every retailer I approached said no. When I went to fashion competitions, I'd make it to the first round and they'd say no. I'm like, my clothes are nice. You've seen them in person. It's really well made. Everything's made in Toronto um, by seamstresses here. So you know my story. Why am I getting turned down? And the response was always, we like you, but we're not sure where the colors and the aesthetic would really fit within our customer base because most of our customers are white women. Like this was only a few years ago. Mm -hmm. Like this was not 20 years ago. Nope. Not that that would make it any better, but this was only a yeah. few years ago. Yeah, and I'm trying to convince them to take a chance on the clothes. Don't look at me as this black woman coming to your store. Look at the, the piece that's hanging, right? And I said to you over there, if a garment is hanging on a rack, you don't know who made it. And you don't know if your customer will relate to it or not unless like, your customer sees it. So what is it about me coming to your store that's telling you to say no to me? Is it me because I'm black or is it the garment? that nobody knows anything about except that it's color and it's cut into a pair of pants and a top. I know, you, we're both like making hand gestures and it, like in, in bafflement at all of this. So out of that, actually, um, I actually went to a, a major retailer, I'm not gonna say the name, but I went to a major retailer to pitch a Black History Month event. This is smart. Mm -hmm. And I said, um, you know, Black History Month coming up, if I can do a pop-up, because you do allow pop-ups in your space. Um, and I got a no, and similar response was, again, just the aesthetic. And they said, we don't cater to any one particular cultural group at any one time, so we would not be interested. I said, I don't know what that means. Like, okay. like that's just, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. How do you work? Like, do you just carry on mm -hmm. at, on the, like on the channels you have and flip them the bird? 
So one retailer actually said to them, you're going to regret this. You're going to see me somewhere. You're going to wish that I was in your store. But carry on with your life, and good luck to you. Um, and one fashion competition that I went to, and they said the same thing to me. And I said, you know, what hurts me the most is there are a lot of bigger brands who are not run by African people um, who are taking the prints and turning them into designs and making a lot of money. But you won't give me the up-and-comer the opportunity to do so on this platform. And I don't understand why. You're telling me that you don't see where it fits but clearly we see where it fits because it's starting to fit. So what is it about them doing it that makes it okay at a price point that I can't even relate to, but you won't give me the same opportunity within our circle and our community? And they didn't have a response for me. So I said, okay. I'm going to pack up my things and leave. So out of the, when the big retailer said no to me, I said, I'm going to open a store down the street from you. <laughs> that's, that's all I'm going to say. You have opened a store. I have. What's the experience been like having a bricks and mortar, bricks and mortar home for Kayla Kay? Fan freaking tastic. So, true story. When I signed the lease, I cried. The night before my opening, I cried. I had to call a sister friend, and I was frantic because I'm like, I think I bit off more than I can chew. No one's gonna show up. Nobody needs this in Toronto. I don't know what I'm doing. Like, online's already busy as it is. The house is already busy. What, you know, I just don't know why. I decided, you know, when something seems like a really great idea, and then you get into it, you know how much work it is? You're like, I don't think I can handle all of this work. And she calmed me down and said, you know, I'm going to send you flowers tomorrow, and it's going to be great, and you'll be fine. And it was the most amazing day. It rained halfway through the day, and people still came out. And there was a lady who came, an older lady, and she said, I'm not of your demographic and your clientele, but I saw your opening on, um, on Facebook, um, and I just came down to let you know how much this means to us as a community, that there isn't any store like this, and for us to be able to have a space to go to to purchase things readily, to grab things and go, uh, we can try things on, you can customize things for us, so like, you know, it's a really great thing that you're doing, so I hope you know you're not doing it alone, and as a community, we're going to support you, and I said, pray for me, lady, thank yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You use such a cool variety of textiles. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I came to visit you in the store, I was looking at those like cobalt blue dresses that were made out of a very yes. unique material. Yeah. Can you tell that story, please? So I, um, I have some dresses and some tops um, that are made out of what we call scuba material, neoprene-ish. Um, but it They did not look like scuba neoprene. No. Uh, just neon yellow, orange, blue, just really vibrant, uh, funky colors. And I found this company randomly online, uh, purchased some samples to make the first piece, loved it, went and purchased more rolls. So I have an account with them. So every time I order, so my account manager one day um, emailed and said, can I just ask what you're doing with all this material? Because no one's ordered this many ever in these vibrant colors. And I said, oh, I'm a fashion designer. Here's the link to my website. Here's, the, here's a picture of what I used it for. And they came back and said, oh, you're using it to make clothes because this is used for seat cushions and boats. <laughs> and I said, oh, that's the thing with fashion. You just you gravitate towards something. You never know what it's used for. I didn't ask what it was used for. I loved the, the texture and the look of it. I used it to make an item. And that dress can go in the washing machine and the dryer like this. So it just makes sense that it would be waterproof <laughs> and that it's made for seat cushions in boats. Yeah. I love that kind of, of innovation and like that's the tenacity, that's the mm -hmm. hustle mm -hmm. that I think are muscles that get stretched mm -hmm. when you are kind of in the, in the pressure cooker mm -hmm. of it all. And that came out of, sorry, Donna, that just yeah. came out of me 
um, wanting to offer a variety of styles um, and pieces and colors in the collection. So I mean, predominantly, I do do African prints, but I also a lot of, offer a lot of non-printed pieces. I just kind of wanted to offer a, a more array of styles um, to the customer base. That's what they came out of. Besides the CNN moment, is there another moment that has been a moment of great kind of a milestone mm -hmm. for Kayla Kay? What would that be? So aside from CNN, aside from opening the store, I was actually on CityLine. Woohoo! Thank you very much with Tracy Moore. Um, and that also came out of her, um, one of her stylists seeing me on Instagram, she hadn't followed me for a while, messaged me and said, I'm gonna pitch you to the show. I don't know if they'll pick you up, but I'm gonna pitch you because I really think that your pieces are great and she's a Caucasian woman. And she said, you know, let's see if it goes anywhere. She pitched me, it must have taken maybe like two months. I got a random email saying, hey, we'd love to have you on City Line. And that was just before I launched a spring collection. And you really saw the difference it made in terms of the number of people that came out to the pop-up and the variety in terms of um, culturally women that came out and sizes of women that came out. Is sizing something that you think about as a, as a designer? What's your, what's your approach? What's the Kayla K sizing kind of scope? So online, people can order between size 2 and size 22. And when I first started, I did size 2 to size 8, because I was a size 4 at the time, so it just made sense. <laughs> and then I, I inched up to a size 14, and then I recognized that as I did more pop-ups, uh, more plus-size women came out, which is fantastic, but I felt terrible because I couldn't find their sizes. So then I opened it up to size 22. A lot of designers don't do that. Um, and we will actually customize for any size. So if you're a size 0, if you're above a size 22, we'll still make the garment for you. We just need you to give us your measurement so it's exactly made for you. When you're not head down in the business mm -hmm. and you're looking out over, you know, the horizon of the fashion industry, mm -hmm. where do you get inspired? Where do you think the industry is moving? You know what? I'm really inspired just by looking at people. So I'm not even that designer who focuses a lot on what's happening in the fashion industry, unless it's something dire like the virus, and we know what's happening with shipping and all those things, but I don't really focus on trends. I'm not a trend setter person. I focus more on, as I've met women over the years, where they're going, what they want to wear to where they're going, what they want to look like, and the kind of cuts historically that have worked well for me and my brand, and that's what I focus on. Um, but I mean, in terms of the horizon, I see a lot of up-and-coming fashion brands, which is great. It's a lot coming from Africa, a lot of designers coming out from Africa, um, which is really great um, just to have more of that diversity um, in the fashion scene, so. I would love to... Um I, I love your design so much and seeing them paired with, like, because I always see them as a complete, like, Kayla K, like, head to toe. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But to see them in a closet with, like, jeans yeah. and, you know, white capris or, like, whatever. Like, I I love seeing that burst of of color mm -hmm. and of and of print coming coming into into the industry especially in Canada mm -hmm. where i think you know because of climate because of of so many things like we tend to rock a pretty monochromatic uh Palette. I remember I had the distinct pleasure, this is going to sound like I'm name dropping and maybe I am a little bit, but I had the pleasure of spending about 2.5 seconds with Andre Leon Talley oh. a couple of years ago. Oh. And I asked him what he thought of Toronto fashion. And he kind of took a minute and said, well, y'all are so practical. <laughs> Because he was here in February, right? Like we're all rocking around in toques and, and parkas and whatnot. Um, 
when you look to, you know, the Toronto market, Mm -hmm. are you thinking of Toronto as a distinct place or are you just thinking of women in general, be them in New York or Atlanta or London or, or here at home? So it is more women in general. I know Toronto women, like I said, maybe have a bit more of a, a distinct aesthetic. I find women in Toronto, when they purchase my pieces, it's more pieces that are chic and really simple. Mm-hmm. So they go for more of that funky print, but in a more of a classic style. Yeah. Pencil skirts every day. That's it. And, you know, just a nice trouser, and they pair it with, a, you know, a white shirt. I have a white button-down shirt that is an exclusive Kayla K piece, and it's going crazy in Toronto. And I'm like, it's just a plain white shirt. <laughs> right? But it has, you know, some poofy sleeves, and that's really like a Toronto woman. And then yeah. maybe she'll pair it with, like, with a, um, a pair of printed pants or something. But I really do design with all women in mind, and um, ironically or gratefully, um, I've met so many women across the world, and just for me to be able to have customers into different pockets, to me, is amazing, right? Just in terms of the brand being so global, that, to me, speaks volumes. And what's on the horizon for Catherine and for Kayla Kay? Can I tell you that, Donna? Like, we're live. (laughs) Spill it. Under embargo with everyone here. Everybody signed that... uh, Non-disclosure, right? Yeah. Um, I think you know he what? swears, everyone. I think he swears. The last few months have really, for me, been about settling the store. Um, again, it was a really big feat. So just wanting to make sure that from a financial standpoint, from a human resources standpoint, um, from a mental standpoint for my family, I'd be able to have it solid and secure going into this year. So next month will be my first, my full year opening the store, which I'm really excited about. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. It's gone by really fast. And now that that's settled, um, our plan really is to, with my marketing manager, to do a lot more pop-ups across Canada and across the U.S. So like I said, we're getting a lot of inquiries from Vancouver. Um, We had some plans to do some pop-ups in the U.S. We'll monitor the the virus and see how that goes. Um, Again, just going to the pockets that we know our customer base really is um, and hitting up stores again in the U.S. um, to just go back that route again to see any of the stores will carry my brand, again, to make it easier for women to have access to the clothing. And if people want to follow along on Insta to find out if a pop-up is happening in their city, where can they find you? So Instagram, it's Kayla K online. So K-A-E-L-A-K-A-Y online. I am having a pop-up. March 28th, 29th at the store. I'm launching my spring, summer 2020 collection. This is a piece from it. You can't see if you're listening, but check out Instagram at Fashion Talks Pod. You'll see it. <laughs> um, so that's going to be, that's my first big event. And then we're going to take um, the pop-up party over across the board to the U.S. and do some other fun things in the summertime. A Mother's Day thing, a prom thing, a graduation thing, a fall thing. Amazing. Yeah. Catherine, thank you so much for being here. I can't wait to see the uh, the new collection. Um, as you listen to this, it will be online. Can you tell us the website again in case people listening want to check out the uh, new collection? Sure. So it's kaylakay.com. So www.kaelakay.com. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. You can follow me at This Is Donna B. A huge thank you to the Fashion Zone here at Ryerson for hosting us tonight. Thank you to CAFA, our producing partners with this podcast. You can find out more about CAFA at C-A-F-A-W-A-R-D-S. And until next time, I'm Donna Bishop, and this is Fashion Talks. And uh, enjoy your Tuesday. I had to think about what day it was there for a minute. Thank you.